Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you this evening. Uh, joining me a little bit later on the program is my special guest of the evening, Dr. Saul Miller. He is a performance and sports psychologist. Uh, he's going to be here to talk about uh, the mental game, but particularly his uh, latest book, Winning Golf, The Mental Game. He's going to be talking about a number of different things uh, contained in the book, and, and we'll see what else we can uh, uh, other information we can get out of them as well. But first up, as always, we're going to be starting with a great discussion uh, on Coach's Corner, and I'll introduce them in one moment. Uh, but just a reminder, everybody, we are live every Thursday evening here on the blogtalkradio.com network, and the best way to find us is go to blogtalkradio.com slash golftalklive, and uh, Thursdays from 6 to 8 p.m. Central, you'll find us front and center uh, during the live broadcast. But for some reason, if you can't join us live, you can always visit that link at any time and just scroll down to the on-demand section and all of the previously aired shows, including tonight's, will be there in their entirety uh, with the recorded version so you can listen whenever it's convenient for you. But for those of you that were uh, able to join us each week live, uh, welcome to the show and uh, I'm going to introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. Uh, we're short one right now, uh, hopefully she'll be jumping in shortly, uh, probably just getting off the golf course, but let me introduce both of them anyways and then I will bring the one that's here on and we'll begin uh, tonight's discussion as as we wait for the second one to pop in. Um, both uh, both are, are great professionals. They've been on the show many many times. First up, of course, is Pete Buchanan. Uh, Pete's been teaching this uh, great game now for over 30 years. He's the founder and director of instruction uh, for Plain Simple Golf, which of course houses the Plain Simple Golf Circuit and a Simple uh, Golf Circuit and the Simple Swing Repeater Training Brace. Been helping uh, golfers of all levels focus on building a repeatable swing. Uh, also on the panel tonight is um, Sue Weger. She's a number one uh, best-selling international author, motivational speaker, and peak performance coach. Uh, she's been uh, LPJ uh, Class A golf professional for over 24 years and owner of Weger Consulting. And her book, uh, Golf, The Last Six Inches, Change Your Brain, is available at Amazon.com and other places as well. But um, for now, uh, Pete, uh, welcome to the show, and uh, we'll keep an eye out for Sue. Hopefully, she'll uh, be coming on shortly. But uh, welcome to Coach's Corner, Pete. Oh, thanks, Ted. It's good to be here. It's always good to be on the show. Well, always appreciate your your input, and uh, I think what we'll do is we'll just dive right in, and I'll keep an eye out for Sue, and, and hopefully <clears throat> she'll be able to join us. If not, uh, as I said uh, before we went live, uh, you and I have uh, held down the fort many times here on the show, so. It won't be yep. the first time we've had to carry the load, but so I yeah, want to no talk worries. about uh, yeah, I want to talk about a few different things. Uh, 
And uh, first off, I want you to talk about, uh, and you may have one or two, um, but I want to put it in a specific context. Um, I'm sure you've got some favorite professional golfers, and I'm talking about players now, tour players, on, and, and it can be off of any of the tours uh, that you've watched that maybe are your favorite players. But more importantly, um, certainly share your thoughts, uh, why they're your favorite player or one of your favorites, uh, and then talk about what it is about their game that you like both personally but also you have found drawing from their abilities that's maybe helped with some of your students. Well, that's a really, really good one. You know, <laughs> barring everybody who always watched Tiger, I mean, I always loved watching Tiger because he just commanded the golf course when he was on it. You know, you could just see that, you know, he he was prepared like Jack was and just basically you could just see him work his way around the golf course and just, you know, attack when he needed to and, and you know, back off when, when it was warranted. But I always liked watching him, watching him play when, you know, especially from, you know, 99 to about 2008. I mean, there was nobody that was any better at it in, in that time period than that. But one of the guys I've really right. followed for a long, long time is Ricky Fowler. And the reason mm-hmm. I've, I really, really love to watch Ricky play is, is Ricky's gone from top down to the bottom, back up to the top again. And to, to watch him be able to, to work through what he was working through and watch the swing changes and watch him do the work and put in the time and change it and come back and eke all the way up to win again. I mean, everybody should, you know, take note of that because it's, as you know, as well as I do, it's really hard to do that. It's so hard. Oh, yeah. When those guys get down, it's so hard to climb back up from that. You know, it just seems like the mountains, every time you reach a, you know, a step, the peak goes up 50 feet, and you just keep going and going, <laughs> and you can't get anywhere. Yeah. But to watch him, and, you know, over time and watch the swing changes was really kind of cool to see. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he he's a player that has, you know, had his fair share of ups and downs. And I think something else, too, um, what I like about, and I agree with you, Ricky. I mean, obviously, I'm kind of old school a little bit too. I've always been a big fan of of Jack uh, Nicholas's and and some of the other uh, earlier players. But if I was to pick uh, one of the younger players, um, or certainly younger than me from today, uh, Ricky would be one for a good uh, reason. I mean, you know, he he has a very interesting um, and just a presence about himself. Um, but I like his attitude, and I think that's important. You know, we always seem to focus on the player's game. Uh, and certainly there's some things. I mean, I, I certainly would not want my students to emulate every aspect of his golf stroke or what have you, but I think there's other things that they can take note of, you know, how they conduct themselves, how they, you know, handle certain situations that they're faced with on the golf course. You know, there's certain cues that you can take. It doesn't mean you have to do exactly the same, but you can certainly emulate to some degree uh, – some of the positives that you see uh, how they handle themselves out on the golf course. So uh, everything, you know, from their demeanor to uh, demeanor, excuse me, to their attitude and so forth. And, um, you know, I think that's important just as much as their, their physical abilities. Um, how do they handle themselves mentally um, on the golf course? You know, as we've talked about many times, you know, Jack and of course, Tiger uh, were probably two of the best um, in the mental game. Uh, uh, you know, thus far in golf, will there ever be another one as, as, uh, has the same kind of prowess as either one of those? I don't know, but it's certainly going to be far and few between. Um, 
but yeah. you know i think m- mentally right Pete, that you've got to you've got to be strong out there and there's some good players out there that have some phenomenal golf swings but don't really have what it takes to, to sort of piece it together to win on a regular basis but ricky has always stayed pretty steady even though he's had some peaks and valleys in his game he's always right. been a, a very positive force you know always gets out there gives us his best and has never really given up. And that's not an easy thing to do with as much competition. Your thoughts? Oh, there's no question behind that. I mean, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I've done some work with, you know, several of the players out there and, and, you know, just watching them, you know, when they come to me, unfortunately they're struggling, <laughs> you know, so they call right. me up when right. things aren't going well, you know, so I've got to, I've got to dig in and take them from where they are and try to get them back to the, to a spot. But, you know, just to watch the 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 mental grind, and it's it, it it's twofold. I mean, Ricky's interview and the way he conducted himself after the U.S. Open was phenomenal. I mean, that was just phenomenal. And and if you know, and if he didn't even win another one, which you could probably see he was going to, but just watching the way he handled himself there, I said I said you know just you know to myself he's going to win because he's not he's not defeated by this. You know, he sees it as a stepping stone, and that's really right. what it all is. And and I've got some young players right now that I'm coaching that you know they want to win and they want to win, but they they, they don't understand it's it, it's a it's a game of fun. It's not a battlefield, you know. And you can't drive yourself you know so crazy with trying to win that you lose sight of the fact that you're you're playing a a pretty spectacular game. And mm-hmm. it'll it'll ruin your practice and it'll drive you bananas if you if you strive too hard for one direction. And I think that not only goes for the, the younger players, it goes for the parents of the younger players too. I mean they gotta understand right, the game. Exactly. You know, and, right. and these kids, you know, need to be mentally strong and they need to strive to win, but you need to strive to win in a positive manner, not a negative one. And, you know, put in the work, put in the time and, and the wins will come. I mean, that's what Tiger always said. He said, you know, if I if I do the things that I know I can do, the wins will happen. Right. You know, that's and the that's way exactly it is. right. Yeah, and he always knew. I mean, he knew what his abilities were. He was, had confidence. Um, so when he stepped out in the golf course, and that's why you know a lot of people early on in his career thought Tiger was being very arrogant to to say, well, you know, I, I come out expecting to win every time. Well, really, what he was saying was, I'm confident that my game has the ability to win each and every time. Doesn't necessarily mean he was going to but he was confident with the way he played. And, you know, he famously would talk about sometimes when he would win an event and they would ask him, you know, how do you feel you played? And he said, well, I wasn't really playing my A game, but he still beat the field by eight strokes or something. And, you know, people right. would sort of be scratching their head. And then on the other hand, he, you know, might finish second or, or further down, and but yet he would come out and say, you know, I was playing my A game today. And, and then again, they'd be scratching their head, like, well, what are you talking about? You lost. But what he was really saying was it was about he, he was confident with the ability that he was playing at that particular time, and he knew his game was sound enough and solid enough that he literally had um, more than just a reasonable but a very strong chance of winning. And Jack was, you know, Jack maybe didn't express it the same way, but Jack was really like that as well, I think, in a lot of ways. He Question. went out there with, with a strong expectation that he could win that event and that he had, uh, you know, in some cases, I'm sure deep down, he thought he had a better chance than other players, but uh, he certainly knew he had a very strong chance of winning that particular event, and particularly in the majors, because that was what he really focused on, and that's what Tiger did, and both of them, I mean, their their records speak for themselves, so, uh, but very interesting. Yeah, and, and, yeah. Go ahead. 
Well, I was just going to say one more thing. I think those two knew they were better prepared than everybody else. And that's right. a huge advantage. Huge advantage. Major advantage. You're exactly right. Because, you know, as you know, Jack's short game was not as as good as others. I mean, he was a phenomenal putter in that, right. but he himself mentioned out of the bunkers and even some of his uh, his pitches and his chips uh, weren't always, uh, you know, on the mark. But he trusted his game enough in certain parts of his game that he knew he could recover. Now, Tiger was, I think, a much more sound overall player physically than what Jack was. Jack, certainly, they both had great distance. Uh, both were very, you know, accurate. But I think Tiger's short game, in my opinion, from what I witnessed over the years, was much more dialed in, I think, than Jack's. Um, you know, Tiger recovered many, many times. Yeah. So, I mean, but again, you're, you're talking different generations, you know, Tiger came on, he became more of an athlete, uh, where Jack was certainly in his day, but, uh, not to the same degree as what some of these young players coming in now. So anyways, just a very yeah. interesting uh, perspective, yeah. uh, you know, and I, I'm with you on this one. I think Ricky, uh, is certainly a player I enjoy watching and, and for the reasons we talked about, uh, now, this is going to be sort of a twofold question. One, I know I already know the answer to, um, but uh, I'm going to lay it out for you here. So, um, so I think every professional, and I'm not now re- uh, necessarily talking about um, a touring professional. Uh, this can be teaching professional as well. But is there a piece of equipment that you think every golf professional uh, should have in their bag? And I'm, I'm going to do this, as I said, from twofold. Um, one would be from a, a golf professional's standpoint, um, as well as the, the players. Uh, and one can certainly be uh, a training aid. And the other is there a, a sort of a club that you think a favorite club that might serve well as an overall item to have in the bag? And I know what the first one's going to be. <laughs> Go ahead, get the plug. <laughs> well, <clears throat> well, you know, after... You know, inventing my own training aid, I'm going to have to say it. Um, you know, specifically because I, I developed a swing program and a training aid that enhances it. So, you know, I would I would say all my players will tell you that, you know, when push comes to shove, when, when things aren't going well, they just put it back on and it, it takes them minutes to get back to where they need to be because it's going to mm-hmm. give them the ability to feel and swing the club the way I want them to swing it with not be standing there. So, yeah, there's there's definitely training aids out there for everybody that – they can use based on what they're trying to do that will get them, you know, some feel back and get them closer and closer to where they need to be. Cause we all know it, it gets away from us, you know, even the, even the best of them gets away. So you need things that are going to help you get back to it. And, you know, that's one of the things that can, that can do that. And I think for me more than anything else is having, having the right wedges with the right bounces. To me, that is mm-hmm. critical um, the tour players can can take it a little bit for granted, but for the for the masses, if they can get the right bounces with the right lofts and the right spacing in there, so they can hit shots from 80 yards on in without any issues, that'd be a tremendous advantage for them to have those. I'm I'm going to do multiples clubs in their bag. We'll just call it wedges as a whole. But I think that in itself um, would give them better ability to score than you know, having a, a, a rescue or a hybrid or something like that that's going to gap between a fairway wood and a long iron, um, you know, they'll mm-hmm. use the wedges way more than they're ever going to use those clubs. So I think I've seen a lot of players that have come to me that they have some wedges, but, you know, there's either too much bounce or too little bounce. And so 
you know, I think it would benefit every player to go in and get get a wedge fitting and get the bounce and lofts that best fit what you do. And it'll make a tremendous difference in how you can play shots around the green and score. I mean, that to me is a huge one for the, the masses that are playing golf. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this uh you know on a little bit slightly different uh perspective. I, I agree hundred percent with what you said. Um and, and I think there's a lot of uh a good uh training products out there. I think what you have to do and and, and this was interesting. I actually posed this question uh, previously on on Go- uh, Coach's Corner uh, to some of the other pros that have been on, and one of the pros mentioned um, that because there are different aids for different issues, you've got to make sure that you pick the right aid that's going to help with whatever problem or issue you're having. Uh, there's a lot of general aids out there that sort of help with the overall swing and that, and that's fine. Uh, like Orange Whip as an example, and there's a few others out there. But if you're having a specific problem, um, whatever it may be, you really want to have a conversation before you go out and spend the money and talk with your pro and make sure that the aid that you're going to buy is one that is going to really help focus on uh, whatever area it might be that you're struggling with. So in the case, you know, with, with what you're talking about, uh, with your product, it, you know, obviously it's going to help overall, but, you know, there's certain things that it's going to benefit maybe a little more greatly than other areas. And, you know, you see a lot of people uh, buying products thinking it's a, a you know, a, a one size fits all, and it's really not. It might be a specific training aid for a specific area of your game. Some are more generic, but there are some specific. So, you know, I like to make sure people do their homework. Don't just look at the price ticket and don't just look at, you know, the promises made. Make sure that the 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 aid is going to really dial in in those areas that you need help with. And that's where a, a really deep conversation with your pro uh, because they know your game and, and the areas that you're struggling with to make sure that the aid is going to benefit those areas that you need. And usually they'll recommend it anyways, but it's always good to have that conversation. Right. I, you know, I see too many people, they go online and they see all kinds of things and they, they just start buying stuff up and it ends up like their, you know, their workout equipment in the garage, it just collects dust. And it's because <laughs> it's not really doing what it needs. Uh, the other thing I'm going to mention too is I would really like to speak – and this is, again, maybe a little bit for some of our older golfers out there. I would like to see them, um, because they don't have the distance they once did, to maybe start taking a club or two out of the bag. You know, if you're not really hitting your driver all that well, um, you know, and you're 65 years old, there's not really, I mean, there's things that you can do to try to help that. But at the same time, if you're all over the place, you're not getting a lot of difference, uh, distance, excuse me, then it may not be the best club to keep in your bag. And what I'd like to see people do is maybe throw in a really good hybrid because some of the hybrids, if you connect well and you can hit them well, they're easier to hit, tend to be much more accurate than your driver, you're still going to hit it down. If you're a, a, you know, a 65, 70-year-old golfer out there and you're you know, struggling to get it you know, 200 yards, um, you know, you can get a good uh, hybrid out there, and even if you can get it out good and straight, 175, 180 yards, uh, and it's in the fairway, I would much rather have that than try to pull up my driver that's only going 200, but it's left or right, you know, in the woods or in the long grass. So to me, I think as much as the wedges are, are definite a plus, I think some of them need to scale back a little bit too on some of the long sticks because I, I see too many guys out there that are, you know, duffing and whipping and whatnot, 
with their driver yep. and they've just done it for too long and you can help them all you want, but there comes a point in time where you have to be realistic about your game and, and adjust your expectations. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's, that's a great one, you know, because especially today with the launch monitors, I mean, you can just show them the data. You can have them start right. hitting drivers and then give them a three wood, then a five wood, then a hybrid. And then they start getting, you know, more carry, more loft. They can get the ball in the air. And at certain speeds, as you know, as well as I do, you, you can't carry the driver far enough anymore. So you need more pitch. You need more loft on the golf club. So then they look at it and mm-hmm. say, well, I hit my, I hit my forward longer or five would longer than my driver. So I know because now right. that law fits the speed that you have. So you're able to lift the ball in the air and you're actually going to average not only longer, you're going to average straighter. And so you'll be able right. to play a much better game with that. And it's hard because I know I used to say just because the driver, you know, they don't put ones on the bottom anymore. They used to put a one on and I said, just because it has a one doesn't mean you have to hit it first all the time. You know, there's other clubs right. in your bag that'll help you. And so I think, you know, with the data today, it's, it's really easy to show them and they can just see it, you know, carry and, and go, you know, much straighter, much better dispersion. And so, yeah, you're exactly right. You know, that's, there's definitely a time when, you know, you have to say, all right, um, you got to check the ego aside. And I, I need to hit a club off the tee that I can put the furthest down the fairway for me. And that may not be a driver, may not be a three wood. Like you said, it might be a hybrid and they make some really yeah, good hybrids today. And, and adjustable ones too, so you can fiddle with them, which is even better. Yeah, or even a good five wood as well. I mean, sometimes it's yeah. just a matter of getting that loft, and and you don't need to have it teed way up, and and uh, you know you're making good solid contact. Um, I just to me, it, it, it's 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 beyond a, really an ego thing for for me to see uh, golfers do this. Is is it's just a matter of what your priority is. Are you out there to try? I mean, everybody's always saying, you know, I wish I could score better. You know, I'm, my handicap doesn't seem to be going anywhere. And, and yes, obviously your, your, all your strokes are not going to happen off the tee, but everything is a domino effect. If your tee shots are not putting you in a position uh, to give you a good chance with your second shot, whether it's to make the green or get you in a good position for a third shot, if you're always hitting out of trouble all the time off the tee, then you're just adding those extra strokes and you're setting yourself up for failure. So I'm a firm believer. Yep. Let's set yourself up for success. Listen, I've played golf many times. I mean, I can still stripe a good one down the middle. There's sometimes I'll get on a course, depending on the circumstances, and I won't pull out the driver and I'll hit a, a hybrid or I might hit the, you know, a five wood or whatever it happens to be carrying in. And I won't pull that driver out sometimes for a few holes because it just doesn't make sense. And, it, you know, you have to, start playing um, smart golf. And I think if, if, especially the men, women are much different. They they're, seem to be a little smarter about it than the, than the boys are. But, um, but I think for men, I think if they put the ego aside, as you suggest, and just really focus on getting myself in a good position uh, to, you know, in, improve my score, that's going to make them happy. And, you know, it doesn't mean you yeah. have to get rid of the driver altogether, but just be smart about it. And, Spending money and thinking you're going to go out and buy a new driver next year that's going to give you those extra yards, well, that's great. You might get some extra yards, but if they're still not putting you in a good position, those extra yards don't mean a hill of beans. So, you know, you have to be smart about it is, is basically what I'm saying. All right, we're going to move on. Yeah, you know what? Um, okay, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Well, one of the things I was doing, I, I've got a junior program that I'm doing this year, and basically what they do is they have to follow me and practice like I do. And so we were warming up before playing one time, and I told the kids, I said, the last half a dozen shots, I'm going to hit her with a driver just to see if I can use it today. 
But if I can't hit it straight enough here on the range, I'm certainly not going to start with it. There's just no way. It goes back to what you were just saying. You know, sometimes you got to start with something else to keep your ball in play. Yeah, it, it well said. And, and just one last thing. I've mentioned this many times, and I'll, I'll give the short version of it. But, um, you know, I had uh, he was actually a guest a, a few years back, but Wally Armstrong, who uh, has been in the golf business for a number of years, and he was on the Golf Channel um, many years ago now, but uh, and I actually brought this up on the show. Um, but he, he actually did a segment where he played a par 3, 4, and 5 with nothing but a 7-iron, a wedge, and a putter. And uh, long story short, with the three holes, he ended up shooting one under par. And the point was, and they were decent-sized uh, holes. They weren't, you know, on an executive course. They were decent-sized holes. The point he was making is, you know, if you put yourself in a good position, you don't have to hit it 250 yards off the tee. Um, if you can't be accurate off the tee, um, you could take that 7 iron, hit three shots, on, which is what he did on the par 5, and then he ended up um, – uh, I believe he ended up parring it, um, and I think it was the par four that he ultimately went on and got the birdie on. But his point was that right. he took three clubs, and he was able to shoot one under par on those three holes. And uh, it, you know, it, it it the point came across you know uh, quite well. So, um, and I think that's what I'd like to see some of the club golfers start doing is being smarter when you get out there and not trying to just because your buddies are, are you know, hitting it all over the place. So we're going to move on. Yep. Uh, okay. This is sort of a two, two, two-fold uh, question here. I'm going to roll these two. Um, which golf instructors have you worked uh, with in the past, and do you have a favorite style or philosophy uh, for teaching golf? Ooh, well, mine's pretty simple. You know, I had the right. opportunity <laughs> to work with John Jacobs. And so, you know, in, in the time that um, I got to be around him in the late 80s, early 90s, um, it was hard pressed to find anybody who was, you know, putting it any more simple and, and able to get results faster than John did. But not only that, I was able to sit and, you know, just basically be a sponge and then ask him a ton of questions. So from a ball flight cause and effect standpoint, you know, I've never seen anybody who was as versed as he was and passing that knowledge on down. So to me, that was invaluable experience to be able to, to you know, have that, information and, and be able to work side by side with John and have not only work on my game, but, but teach alongside him. But there's one other one too, that, um, you know, came out of the digest schools with them in the late sixties, a guy named Bert Bueller out of Northern California. And Bert was, you know, mm-hmm. equally as, as sharp and, and had an eloquent way of, of just communicating the message. And, you know, it, it was so easy to, to understand what he was doing and to learn because, you know, as he always said, I said, I don't know difficult. It's not part. I don't know how to do difficult. All I know is simple. I can't, I walk simple. I talk simple. I don't know anything else but simple. And it was really, really fun to be able to be around guys with that depth of knowledge, but also those, you know, top communication skills, which, which, you know, enabled me to be able to, to take the language and adapt it, you know, quickly to all the different, you know, people that I'm coming up against. And I, I use all of the same things, you know, I first met John Jacobs in 1985, and I, I still use, you know, a lot of the things that, you know, we talked about back then today because, mm. you know, the ball's still right. to the side and on the ground. So nothing's right. really changed. I mean, the equipment's better and all these are better, but you still have to get the face square, the path straight, and, you know, an, an angle so you can hit it. I mean, those things have never gone away. And so, um, yeah, that was really a, a, a blessing for me to be able to, at that time, not only run into John, but, you know, then – 
through those acquaintances, you get to meet the Jim Hardys and the Jim McLeans and the, you know, the Hank Haney's and all mm-hmm. that. You get to run into them too. So, you know, the Billy Harmon's, um, you know, just a, a right. just a great wealth of of knowledge and you know people that you get to run into. So that that to me, I was very fortunate, and I tell people that all the time when they're talking about, you know, where'd you learn all this? I said, uh, you know, I had a, I had some great mentors. And, um, you know, I'm trying to pass it on to the ones that I'm working with now just to give them the same kind of knowledge that I got Just you know, try to make it as easy and fix as many golfers as we can. Yeah, there's a lot to be said, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, working with uh, people like that. You know, obviously they didn't have the access to the technology and things that we have now. And I know we've talked about this a little bit, uh, you know, over the years, but, um, and again, I, I think we're both, you know, equally um, appreciative of the various types of technology that's available. But at the same time, um, I think the the actual uh, art of teaching, um, in some cases, has been lost, and it's become more mm-hmm. uh, a, a digital environment. And there's certainly some pros and cons to it. Um, definitely some pros to it, but there's also some cons where, you know, you're not really sharing the same interaction with the students. It's more about, you know, dialing in on numbers or dialing in on, uh, you know, uh, biomechanics and things like that, which might be fine for, you know, somebody that's, you know, playing in a tournament that's, you know, three or four million dollars and first place is, you know, two million, um, where they've got a lot riding on it. But, you know, for the average club golfer, they don't need to know a lot of all that, that detail. And I think sometimes keeping it simple. You know, I, I've talked to many, many uh, students over the years, both at, at all kinds of levels. And one of the things that they've said to me is that um, they like it to be kept simple. And it's, and it's that, believe it or not, it's not just, you know, the older golfers, even some of the younger golfers uh, that are struggling have said to me personally, you know, I, I really like it when things are explained a little bit more, uh, you know, simply, you know, it's simplified and it's not all this jargon mm-hmm. that they don't really understand because then, you know, it's kind of like the old, you know, eyes glazing over because they, they don't really get it. Um, do you find that as, as well? And is that something that, again, adopting, um, you know, some of the people that you've worked with, um, is that something you've tried to do as well? And again, you're conscious of, of what's out there and available, but you try to also be respectful of let's keep it as simple as possible. No question. Um, I get that all the time. You know, people are always saying, well, I get a lot of people tell me, so it can't be that easy. I said, well, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's that easy. It's that simple. If you understand what you're trying to do. And yeah, right. I get it all the time. They're, they're very appreciative of, of, you know, when the message comes in that, you know, not only is it very simple at the start, but I keep it simple as we go along. You know, we have multiple lessons and they say, you know, I like it because when I come here, you're not going to get, you know, to give me 14 different things to do. We just keep going down the road where we started. And I said, that's what it's all about. And so we want to be able to keep the message as simple as possible and not, not confuse anything. And I even had, you know, I had an engineer the other day and, and we had the launch monitor out and had all of these, all this data on the screen. And he goes, what are you really looking at? I said, I'm looking at these three. And he goes, really? So, yeah, I don't right. pay attention to these three. I don't really care about the rest of them. If I get these three right, you're going to be happy. Yeah. You know, so yeah, we're looking and, at face, face to path, you know, those things. And so, you know, there's a lot of other data, but, you know, relative to what they need, it's just it's just not relative. Well, and when you – exactly. When you get the ones that you do need in the right sequencing, the others fall into place anyways. So it's really right. just absolutely uh, re- really re- reinforcing uh, 
you know, um, the path and, and so forth and, and the club base. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one, once you kind of dial in on those and you, you understand that and you tweak things to the point where you're getting those numbers where you, you know, think they need to be, um, all of that other data, it's great and it's interesting. And I'm sure to an engineer like him, it's probably uh, would be an interesting conversation for another time, but not during mm-hmm. the golf lesson. Yep. Um, and, and that's really the point I'm trying to make. Um, yeah. Now, obviously, you know, there is a lot of technology out there. I know you've used apps and, and things, uh, uh, as you mentioned before on the show. Uh, do you have a, a favorite? Is there some newer technology that uh, that you've been kind of excited about, uh, maybe excited a little bit too much, but um, that has really piqued your interest over the last uh, few years or even in, just in the last couple of years? Um, you know, there's two things. You know, I've been using the, the, the Garmin approach, you know, R10 quite a bit over the last, you know, month, month and a half. And, you know, combined with some, some different apps, I mean, it, re- it really gives a, a pretty good bunch of information. And, um, you know, I, I use it in every lesson because it's, it's you know, formidable to, to be able to see the numbers. But I've also mm-hmm. been, you know, behind the scenes working on, you know, different motions and how they affect the numbers. You know, so right. I can now get in there and I, I see a motion here and I say, well, this is going to cause those numbers to do this. If we make this change, that'll change. And so that's what I've been kind of using that for. And then I'm I'm really excited. I'm I'm going to be able to start uh, testing out some 3D software where they're going to be measuring the shaft angle throughout the entire swing. That to me is, you know, with as much plane work as I do with the golf club, I'm really excited for that because I'm going to start being able to do a lot of experimenting with with motions and body movements and how they affect the plane angle of the shaft throughout the swing. So I'm really excited to be able to do that. I, I just started with that software today, and, and now they're going to be making some more and more improvements. But I've been looking for something like that for a long time, and, and you know, I have a pretty good suspicion on, you know, what the numbers are going to look like and what the body motions are going to look like to change how the shaft moves throughout the swing. But now it'll be fun to have, you know, that data and the, the 3D basis looking at it you know, in all of those those uh, aspects to show how you make this simple change and it totally changes the angle of the shaft through this part of the swing or that part of the swing. So, yeah, I'm really excited for that. So that technology is, is you know, becoming more and more prevalent is with the 3D stuff, and it's getting a little easier to use too. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to be able to dive in and, and figure out, you know, just from a data standpoint, how body motions affect how the club moves. Yeah, I'm, you know, there's a lot of great uh products on the market from a coaching's perspective uh, that are very helpful tools. Uh, and that's exactly what there are tools. And there's certain other technology too, that's, uh, you know, interesting from the player's perspective um, that, uh, you know, can provide them with some, some valuable information while they're on the course or even when they're in the practice uh, that I think is beneficial. What, what I always try to, you know, have any students that I've worked with that, that are into the technology is I always, you know, try to encourage them to put it in perspective. And, you know, it's it's kind of like your phone. If you're constantly always looking into your phone all the time, then you're kind of missing on what's going around you. And I said, you know, the other thing, I always joke around, I said, you know, when you're out in the golf course and you're if you're looking down at your technology all the time, you're not going to see if there's a stray golf ball coming your way and uh, conks you on the head. Yeah. So I said, you know, you need to be alert. And, uh, you know, and uh, all kidding aside, but you know, I think it's a balance, and we've talked about this before. It's really a balance. Yeah, There's a lot of bet. great technology. You know, Bushnell's come out with some great technology, Garmin as well, and, uh, you know, that helps both the coach and student. Uh, what's really been interesting is I, I think the use of integration 
between the two. So uh, as an example, there's a lot mm-hmm. of great apps out there that allow both the coach and student to interact with one another. So when you're not together and they're out there, you know, playing their rounds, uh, it's able to record, uh, you know, certain data and information and it can be uploaded, you know, literally instantly uh, into yep. the coaching platform as well. So you, you've now got instant data and that's really great if you're working particularly with collegiate students that, uh, you know, you need to have that information and uh, maybe they're playing in a tournament. You can kind of see some areas that they're struggling with. Um, but also too um, with some of your, uh, junior golfers and that that uh, you know that are all about technology. That's one way that you guys can work together on. So there's a lot of good stuff out there. And again, it goes back to what I said earlier: is you got to do some research, you got to look into it, and it's really a conversation that you need to have with your coach or your teacher professional to find out what's best for you. Obviously, you want to talk about what what's of interest to you as a student, but you also want to make sure that you're not just throwing money away. Because I see a lot of times. People buy, you know, all these gadgets and that, and, and again, they, they use it for a little while because they're excited, but then it just does somewhere after a while because it's just not what they thought it was going to be. And it's not that it doesn't yeah. work. It's just, you know, it's stuff that they realized they didn't really need, and, you know, a few dollars later, and they're wishing that, you know, they're having buyer's remorse. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I got you. You know, so I, I think the other thing, too, that I, I want to – touch on with you and I've, I've talked to others about this as well you know there's been a lot of talk um, you know from both in the industry and you know people that are playing and I'm not talking about the tour uh, tour pros but uh, you know the amateur golfers or club golfers and especially with the younger um, you know millennial and even Gen Z as an example um, they don't have a lot of time or they certainly at this point in their, their lives, don't want to dedicate necessarily a four or five hours to a full round of golf, and they're looking for alternatives. What are your thoughts about maybe putting together, as an example, um, and I know it is available, but, but maybe really marketing to this, uh, to some shorter golf events, as an example, and, and maybe just whittling it down to more nine-hole rounds as opposed to, uh, or some version of it, instead of an 18 all the time, uh, and really really focusing on that. I know the courses want to sell it out and I think they're doing that now anyways, but I think people just don't have the same time that they want, once did. What do you think about that? You think the industry really needs to take a, a look at that and, and start building products instead of these resort courses all the time, maybe come up with products that have a more um, time sensitive uh, or, or time conscious uh, approach to the game. What do you think about that? I think it's a great idea. I mean, if you could combine, let's say, uh, um, we'll just we'll just say what it is. If you could combine a, a, a top golf with a little nine hole golf course with it, and have the you know the both, so where you can have the right. entertainment part of those that want to do that, and the food and 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 all those things, and then a little nine hole golf course with it. Yeah, I think that's that's huge. You know, we've been talking here in St. Louis about you know putting together. A, a different style of practice facility. And in this mm-hmm. pr- particular one, we're talking about only having three holes, a three or four and a five. Right. You right. know, and doing a lot of events on three holes. And if we have to do it, we'll play it three times. But I think that's a great idea. We have a little nine hole golf course, part three, that's, you know, associated with, with Tower T where I teach. We've got all kinds of events that we do there. And so from, you know, two person scrambles to we even did a one person scramble. You know, just nine holes is plenty. It takes about an hour, an hour and a half to play it. 
you know, if the place is packed. So it's a really great chance to get around and, and work on parts of your game. This is mostly short game, but yeah, I think it's a tremendous idea. And I think there's, you know, with the space involved, you can probably put some of these in, in you know, a, a really smaller place that, you know, you normally real estate that you normally couldn't do for a lot less cost. And I think you'll get a lot of people who would be very interested in being able to do that where they can come out and, and get some work in and, and play nine holes and it takes two hours. You know, I think that's a, that's yeah. a great idea. And I think, I think it's the industry should start looking at it. Well, I know I had a few years back and, uh, uh, unfortunately, their names escape me at the moment, but um, there was a group of them um, that were on the show, and they really, you know, dial in on, um, you know, sort of golf course management and, and how some of the, and why some of the courses, you know, over the years, especially um, not just the resort courses, but uh, community courses and things like that, where, you know, they've got a top-ranked uh, course, but then they've got a community built around it. And certainly there are a lot of successful, but a lot of them have ended up closing down because they, you know, they, the golf course is really becomes an amenity for the community. And if it's not run properly, obviously, and, and again, as members, you know, age and move on and whatever, they're not replenishing that uh, group as easily. And so they've got all this land or the land becomes very valuable um, and for other purposes and the community ends up, I know in, in Panama City Beach, Florida, for instance, um, you know, they've, they had at, the, at what's called the Ombre, which has been a very popular course for many, many years. I used to do some teaching up there, and they've all but, uh, I think, shut most of it down. They took, the I think, the front nine. They're selling it off for uh, other real estate development. So the community that's there is is now down, I think, I don't even know if they've got the 18. I'll have to check because I haven't been up there for a while. But, um, yeah. you know, so as an example, uh, you know, these longer courses, I mean, they're great to have. But I think we need some shorter courses. I think like the par three or it's also referred to executive style courses mm-hmm. um, can let, get people out for an hour and a half of golf and have some fun. And it's a great way to work on your short game, as you said. And you can have lots of little events there that can be fun, especially for junior golfers, too. Um, and it doesn't take up a lot of land. It's much more manageable, um, you know, almost like a range center uh, with a short nine hole right. course on it. Um, I think we need more of that uh, in this industry, in addition to what's already out there, um, and, and right. have that as really a starting point um, for uh, beginning golfers, number one, but also for some of the older golfers that just don't hit it as far and want to just get out and still play the game, but you know don't want to you know, uh, work uh, play on a 6,500-yard golf course. What, what are your thoughts? Well, the other, the other side of the coin here, too, is you know, based on what's going on economically today, um, there's not as much money. So if you can find a, a, a smaller place, you know, a, a nine hole that's a little bit cheaper and now you're paying, you know, 15, 18 versus 50 or 60. You, yeah. I mean, now you're, you can fill that up pretty easily. Um, a lot of seniors will, will love it because it's, it's shorter. It's easier to walk. Um, it's easier to get around. It's not as expensive, you know, and now they'll spend more with the, you know, the food after they're done because they didn't spend as much, you know, trying to get on the golf course. So I think it's a win-win all the way around. And so, you know, you can lower the cost overall so you can lower the prices and then it would be simple to fill the thing up. And like you said, different events, you know, there's a, there's a little place that we used to go to near Jefferson City, Missouri that had a, a Wednesday night skins game as a lighted par three. Oh my goodness gracious. Mm-hmm. It was packed. <laughs> it was so much right. fun. And yet you had to make a one to get a skin. There's no way every two was covered. It didn't make a difference. 
you know. So right. it was so much fun, and it was a carryover with the money. So, man, we just had a blast out there because everybody's just trying to make a one, you know, and if you, if you right. pick, miss the green and don't chip it in, just pick it up, you know, so it goes pretty fast because, you know, right. every, every two is going to be covered. So, you know, there's just simple things like that that you can do, and, you know, from, you know, we do some things with vets and things like that. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think from a smaller scale, you know, scale the money down, scale the cost down, scale the golf down to make it more simple, more easy to play in less time. I think that's a that's a home run right there. It's a big win. You know, I and I've said this before on the show um, many times. You know, when I first learned to play this game, that's what my father took me to was, you know, a short par three course. That's where he taught me, and I didn't get out onto, you know, the bigger courses until he felt I was, you know, not necessarily that I had to shoot a certain score or anything, but that I was comfortable and and had some confidence. And he did that for a reason. He wanted me to learn the game, and he wanted me to really be in an environment that was not going to be overly intimidating. Because, you know, as a kid, you know, you're looking at this thing, and it's, you know, 450 yards, and you can't even see the green, and you're, you know, seven years old. And you're like, okay, well, where's this got to go, Dad? You know? Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> you know? I got you. Uh, and, you know, and you're, you're only hitting it, you know, 50 yards or something, or 75 yards maybe, or whatever the case is, but. Um, you know, so you have to be able to uh, to do that. So I, I think I'd like to see that. Is there anything else that you can think of um, and, and just sort of going down the same line that you would really like to see the industry do um, or bring back? Um, maybe something that they've they've done that's been successful in the past that, you know, that you really think would be a, a home run. I mean, you know, as we get new generations, um, some of the things that we maybe don't do anymore uh, in, in the golf industry um, the non- I mean, it's just like with the, with the clothing. I mean, you know, they're bringing the 70s styles back in. So, you know, maybe yeah. maybe golf needs to resurrect some old uh, uh, philosophies that might uh, might play out well. Is there anything you can think of? Yeah, you know, I, I think more than anything else with, with today's, you know, generations, you just it's got to be entertaining. Uh, that, yeah. to me, is the big key. Otherwise, they won't come. You know, there's there's a lot of places they can go to be entertained, but you know that's why I think Top Golf has taken off, and and you know other ones just like it have taken off so well. You know, and and even you know down in you know in these new um, the putting courses that Tiger's doing, do the Pop Stroke. I mean, those places are packed. It's all putting. You know, more of those. You know, that's something that's starting to to, to bring up. So you know, more more putting courses that are you know just not your your typical putt putt, but there's all kinds of different things with food and entertainment and fun and prizes and you know, that's really what I think the industry needs to keep looking at because that's the only way you're going to engage, you know, the the this style of, of you know, generation of, of kids and, and folks that are coming up. You know, they're looking for the entertainment value and the time value. So, you know, you have to look at that uh, together and really come up with some ideas. And I, mean, I like the clothing aspect of it. I mean, that was always, you know, some let's let's uh Let's have a place where when you go play, you have to dress like they did in the seventies. I mean, that would be that would be awesome. Right. That'd be a fun thing to see, you know. And, and you know, bring out some, bring out some, you know, old old persimmons and some, you know, blades, and you know, let's have them play like it used to have to play, yeah, and show you what this was like, you know. So, you right. know, just some nostalgia things like that would be kind of fun too. I think I would probably uh, leave out the platform shoes though in the seventies. I think those would be a little bit <laughs> awkward. Uh, but yeah. uh, but certainly would make for some fun. But you know it, yep. it's interesting because you mentioned you mentioned um, you know Top Golf a few minutes ago, and really what Top Golf is is an updated version of some of these old golf centers that we used to see. 
like I said, you know, yep. up near my place where I grew up back in Canada, you know, we had a, a it was actually called a, um, a, a golf center and they had a nine hole course, but you could actually play it as 18 because it had multiple tees and they had a driving right. range and they had, you know, some other things, um, you know, it was kind of like a mini water park. So, you know, to me, I think maybe obviously in, uh, that may not appeal to some of the younger generation today, but uh, again, you know, having something like Top Golf or some of these other centers that have come up now um, and working together and having these short courses and having it about entertainment and fun brings in a new, and again, it, it, it's a great way to feed into uh, sort of the next level. Those that want to become a more, more yes. um, you know, serious golfer can get up. You know, a, a great example of this is the cradle at Pinehurst. You know, when I was at Pinehurst uh, last year, I guess it was, you know, I was, I actually played the, the cradle a couple of times myself while I was there as well as, uh, you know, on the, on the bigger courses. But, uh, I mean, it was just packed. I mean, mm-hmm. every single day it was just packed. And it's so popular. Um, it, in, in many ways, it's just as popular, if not more, with the younger crowd than going out on the bigger course because they can have a lot of laps. I mean, it's a short, very short course. If you're not sure what the cradle is, it's just a short little nine, um, very short right. actually. Um, but, you know, they've got a little watering hole out uh, off of, uh, I think it's the number seven or something. But, uh, you know, and it's not very far. You can see all holes from, from the clubhouse and that. But it's just a lot of fun. And, and it's, I mean, people just flock to it. And I think if we saw more of that, and I know there's other places around the country that they do have that, but I think we need more of that, um, as we talked about earlier. That's what I would like yeah. to see the industry really focus on. And, and not just focus on the tours all the time. There's a place for everything. But I think mm-hmm. as the new generations are becoming more uh, environmentally conscious as well, um, you know, they don't want, you know, um, a developer coming in and, you know, taking five, six, seven hundred acres and turning it into some, uh, you know, utopia. Um, they would rather have something that's a little bit smaller and, and you know, more manageable um, and that's easier right. on the environment. So I think you have to find a balance. But um, just mm-hmm. interesting yeah, no uh, thought. Yeah. You know, I think that's one of the things, things I'd like to see as well. Um, do you have, um, you know, we, we've talked about, you know, social media uh, as well over the years um, and, and how we think it's changing uh, the golf industry, uh, pro and con. What are your thoughts? What do you see? Uh, as as pros, that social media, and that's not just Facebook and Twitter and that, but just, you know, an online platform. What are some of the pros that you've noticed or benefits, I guess, would be a good way to put it, that you've seen, um, you know, over the last few years, uh, utilizing that yourself or certainly just seeing it, and then obviously some of the cons that, that uh, you have to be careful of? Well, you know, the, the, the pros of it, even as simple as, you know, I use a, a, a platform, um, it's a content-based platform for all of my players that I put them in. And, you know, it's not necessarily a, a total social media, but we can, we can, you know, load videos, text, chat. You know, we can do all kinds of things with inside the platform. So, I mean, you know, that's a great way to stay in touch with all of your players. And it's real easy once they, you know, video in the, inside the app and tag me, it, I, I see it, then I can get right back to them. So it's really kind of convenient that way. You know, in a lot of the social media platforms, you know, we're bringing a, a big-time awareness to golf. There's a lot of people doing a lot of things with golf out there. Some are funny. Some are fun. Just to see some fun mm-hmm. things on the golf course, see some crazy things. 
But, you know, it's just bringing an awareness to being outside, having some fun, you know, seeing what other people are doing, you know, watching what they're doing. Some are testing products, which are great. You know, you can go on yep. and watch these, you know, different uh, folks that are testing all the equipment and having some fun. Uh, the, the problem you can run into, though, is there's so much golf instruction out there. You can yep. take somebody sideways in about six minutes. I mean, there's right. just way <laughs> too many videos that people are putting out there. And, you know, again, I, I was talking about just the other day with one of our, our players. I said, you know, if they would start an article in the magazine to say, hey, we're going we're gonna to talk about Joe Tour player here and understand that these are the things that he fights. These are the misses that he hits. And these are the things he does to try to get his club. And in his case, he's trying to work the face more open um, because he fights hooks all the time. And then I would have a little footnote there. So if you're a slicer, skip, skip ahead because this isn't going to help you. This is going to make your club right. more open. It'd be nice if they had those things, but they won't put those things in there because it's hard, you know, it's hard to sell magazines, I guess. But, you know, you, you know, I right. would like to see that more specific to say, hey, if this is you and this is what you tend to fight, you know, these are the types of things that are going to help you. You know, just very more descriptive and more, spe- you know, specific. And, and I agree with what I've heard. I'd love to see some bona fide teachers get in the booth in these PGA Tour events as commentators. They can really oh, start yeah. to break down and understand the swings rather than former players who for, you know, were great players, but, you know, half of them don't understand and never did understand what they did. They could just play. I'd love to see some really right. top-notch teachers get in there and start to get the public to understand, you know, this is why they're doing what they do, and, you know, this is how it works for them. So to adapt it to you, you would have to do ABC. I would think it would be so much more beneficial to the masses. Yeah, I, and that way it would it would start to get some of the confusion out. Yeah, I agree. Um and, and I agree on both points. Uh you know, from the pros uh pro perspective, um I think social media has helped to get a lot of information out there um from a teaching professional's standpoint, it, you know, you're able to to put a lot of your information out there and obviously communicate with students and and obviously uh, reach a, a much bigger audience, um, but it, it's also a con as well. Uh, as you pointed out, there's a lot of um, you know information that gets put out there, and 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 you know believe it or not, even by some pros, there's a lot of pros that out there, and and God love them, you know they have their own theories and styles, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we got to be careful too that we don't run in that trap where you know we're we're putting information out there that doesn't necessarily benefit the masses it may be a smaller group or it may be you know a certain type of golfer that can benefit and others uh, may not be able to do that so um but the bigger problem uh, is not so much from the pros but you get a lot of you know folks that have maybe played golf for 10 15 20 years personally and not necessarily at a high level um and they're just throwing up their blogs and saying well hey here's what i've done and whatever and then you know as i said uh, previously um you know last week with with one of the guys is that you get in a situation as a professional where you're standing and explaining for the first 15 minutes of the lesson um, why this may or may not work for them because of, of the YouTube video they watched last week or the other day. Um, so there, there's pros and cons for sure to social media helping yeah, um, the, the golf industry. Um, but again, I think what you have to do as a player, um, whatever level, um, I think you have to sort of sit down and decide, okay, what information am I looking for? If I'm looking for, you know, game improvement, if I'm looking for, 
you know, how to handle this part of my swing a little bit better. I don't recommend just going on and watching a, watching a bunch of videos. Sit down with your teach professional, your coach, whatever it is that you have, and have a discussion and say, look, here's some areas, and let them help guide you into some areas. If they have their own stuff, great. If they're working with somebody else, like maybe um, it might be a, um, a sports psychologist, as uh, my next guest is coming up, um, you know, put them in touch with them and say, here's some things that they can do to help you and make that introduction. And then you'll find that students going to come back and say, you know what, yeah, I really appreciate that. They, they really helped me with my game. Or a fitness uh, instructor that um, specialized in golf fitness, you know, um, rather than just saying, well, here, go to the gym and do that. So, you know, you have to sort of help them understand um, what their options are and not just let them sort of willy-nilly go on there and, and watch and read up a bunch of stuff. And then they're scratching their head right. for the next six months trying to figure out what all and dissect all the information. Yeah, no um, what do you think? Final thoughts? Oh, yes. I mean, I watch some of them, and, you know, with, with all the knowledge I have, I'm like, what on earth is that? You know, it's just so confusing to go from one side to the other to the other. And in one lesson, they take you around a circle about six times and, and never really get to any kind of a crutch of the meaning or, or the fault or the cause of anything that's going on anyway. So, you know, you, like you said, you have to be really careful and, you know, it's it's a benefit for you as an instructor uh, to get with your students and say, hey, I don't mind you looking around, but be careful what you're looking for. And these are the types of things that you should look for, you know, when you're trying to enhance your yeah. game. So, yeah, definitely, definitely be be cautious with what you see out there because there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there that can, that can really get you confused. And, you know, like I said, there's some good stuff too, but uh, more than not, it's, uh, it'll take your game, you know, further away from where you want to be than you should be. Well, and, and the other thing, too, which is, and I think this is a great litmus test, too, is to actually say, okay, this particular lesson, we're going to look at a bunch of different videos or, or read, a, you know, some different, give them a homework assignment and have them look at some things and then say, we're going to come back together and we're going to talk about some of these things. So at least that way, you're having a conversation. You're not sort of getting blindsided. That's one of the things that I don't like is when they come and blindside you and say, well, I've been watching all these yeah. videos and then you've got to say, explain it. Um, but if you want to say, let's do a lesson, one of your lessons we're going to dedicate to talking about some of these areas and how they can or cannot help your game. So that way they have a better understanding, and then they're going to look at things with a little bit different perspective moving forward. But Pete, as always, it's a great discussion. Um, just a side note, uh, Sue did reach out to me. and Unfortunately, she wasn't able to join us. She's uh, ended up being a little bit under the weather, so she sends her apologies. But uh, as, okay. as I said at the beginning, you and I, Pete, can uh, hold the fort down pretty good here in Coach's Corner. So. Um, I think yeah, you did a good yeah, job no tonight. Question. But <laughs> as always, uh, I'm going to let you uh, have the floor for a moment and let the folks know the best way if they want to reach out to you. Yeah, they can catch me at peepbuchanangolf.com uh, or stlouisgolflessons.com. Either one of those will get you all my contact information. And, um, you know, as I've always said before, don't hesitate to reach out and start a conversation. If you're interested, if you're struggling with your game, let's start. Let's talk about it at the beginning and see if we can – you know, work out a solution, whether it's face-to-face -face or online, because we have both of those. So, you know, don't hesitate uh, and, and leave it to, to not asking questions, because that's how you get started, and you can find your, find your way back to your game pretty quickly. I couldn't have said that better myself. Uh, well done. Uh, Pete, as always, thank you All very right. much for joining me on Coach's Corner, and I will see you the next time. And uh, keep going out, enjoying the rest of your your uh, your birthday uh, gift, if you will, and uh, and uh, play play some more golf. 
and I'm yeah, jealous. Yeah, I'm looking but, forward uh, to it. Yeah. <laughs> I will see you next time, way. Coach. Maybe, maybe we'll, yeah. I'll come your way, and we'll add you to the tour. So <laughs> that that sounds good. Yeah, I'm, I might need it. So um, always right. a pleasure, sounds Pete. Good. You have a great rest of your week, and uh, we'll see you next time. Um, that was Pete Buchanan joining me on the Coach's Corner segment here on Golf Talk Live. Uh, when we return, I'm going to take a very quick break, and when we return, uh, I'm going to be joined by my very special guest, Dr. Saul Miller, uh, performance and sports psychologist. We're going to talk about his new book, Winning Golf, The Mental Game. We'll be right back. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, welcome back uh, to Golf Talk Live. Um, very excited to be joined by this evening's guest, uh, Dr. Saul Miller, uh, one of the world's leading performance and sports psychologists uh, for over 40 years. He has helped athletes excel under pressure. Uh, many of his clients include uh, PGA and collegiate golfers and athletes in a variety of different uh, professional sports, uh, NFL, NHL, NBA, and MLB, as well as European pro teams and Olympians from the U.S., Canada, and Europe. Uh, and he has also authored uh, many books, but uh, one we're going to talk about tonight is Winning Golf, The Mental Game. And uh, he divides his time between British Columbia and California, so please welcome to the show my very special guest, Dr. Saul Miller. Good yeah, evening, hi. Dr. Miller. How are you? How are you doing? I'm very well. It's a pleasure. I'm fine, and it's a pleasure to be with you. Now, I have to ask you uh, one question first before we get into tonight's discussion, and I'm assuming I have this right. Um, you're hopping back between uh, B.C. and California, and I've looked at a lot of uh, the background. Uh, are you Canadian? I'm actually dual. I was born in Canada, but I'm both a Canadian and a U.S. citizen. Gotcha. The reason why I ask is I'm Canadian. That's why I was wondering. I saw oh, all okay. of the uh, different yeah. things. Whereabouts were you born? I was born in Montreal. Oh, okay. I was born in Toronto, so we're we're rivals a little bit. But uh, yeah, absolutely, um, that was a great rivalry. <laughs> I noticed, too, that uh, when I was looking through uh, uh, the book here the, the, the earlier today, just to uh, prep for, for tonight, um, that you've uh, done a lot of work with many uh, professional teams, and including hockey teams, but I noticed you weren't helping the Maple Leafs, so we could use your help, so, <laughs> Dr. Miller. We could really use your help. <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't won a trophy well, in a long time. But... Actually, there Actually, there's a chapter in the book, Ted, where I'm talking about how I've worked with a number of NHL players and a couple of NFL players. These are people I, I worked with for a couple of years. And all right. of these guys have become very good, very competent recreational golfers. And I've asked them how the work we did to improve their hockey performance or their football performance has translated. Mm -hmm. It does, has it translated to the golf course and how, and absolutely. I mean, everyone felt that, 
the basic things that we're working with, the right focus, the right emotional management, the right feeling, and the right attitude is critically important, really in any sport, but especially in golf. Yeah. There, it's amazing, really, the crossovers. I've noticed that. I'm, you know, I've been a uh, teacher professional now for just over 30 years. And, you know, what was always interesting is, you know, when you're dealing with athletes, um, regardless of what sport, but particularly hockey and, and certainly football and that, and you see many of them as their careers wind down there, uh, obviously you want to still be active and want to, you know, be competitive. And uh, golf is a sort of a natural uh, evolution, if you will, <laughs> of the athlete to, to move into. Some of them play, you know, while they're playing professional uh, other sports. Uh, but many of them, uh, you know, sort of spend their, their later time uh, taking up the game. And it's amazing, you know, how their skills in their other sport has really sort of translated Absolutely. into uh, yeah. their golf game and, and obviously vice versa, as you point out. So um, very, very interesting uh, that you do a lot of work yeah. with, with them as well uh, in helping their game. So I want to ask you, the, the yeah. first question I want to talk to you about the book is, and as I mentioned, you've written several uh, books uh, in addition to this, but why did you write this specific book? What was it about this book that you said to yourself, you know, this is a book I want to write, and why about the topic you chose? Well, it's interesting. As you mentioned, I've written a number of books, and I've been writing books for years, and always on the mental game, different sports, or I even wrote a book, uh, Performing mm-hmm. Under Pressure, which applied right. to everything. I mean, we're all performers. It's not exclusively sport. It's everything we do. Another book, Why Teams Win. And a number of my friends were on me for years. Oh, golf is the mental game. You've got to write the book on golf. You've got to do the book on golf. And so one day I just sat down and began a process that took a couple of years to write Winning Golf, the mental game. Yeah, it's it's a great book. I mean, there is – I mean, obviously we won't – get into everything tonight because we want people to read the book, but, uh, and it's just, there's too much information. We'd never get it done in, in the, the time we have, but, yeah. um, but there, there's just a, a wealth of information and a lot of, um, very well-known, uh, professionals, uh, in, in golf and, and others that have, um, that you've, you know, quoted certain, uh, sayings and, and things, uh, and comments right. in the book as well, uh, which is certainly a testament to how far you reach. Uh, with, with your word. Uh, and, and I'm sure that you're very pleased with the book book overall, but do you have a favorite chapter really or two am. in the book? Well, you know, one of the things I work with a great deal for emotional management, which is absolutely critical in the game. If you can be at ease, if you can embrace, you know, what you're doing rather than tense and, you know, trying to avoid making a bad shot, um, how we manage emotion, breathing has a huge role in managing our emotion. And I have a a chapter on conscious breathing. And like you said, I mean, I very thoroughly describe exactly what to do. I mean, I think one of the things that's unique about the book, Ted, I'm not talking about what Scotty Scheffler did on the 17th hole of Pebble Beach. I'm talking about how you can have a better focus how you can have more emotional management, how you can be, you know, clearly have that shot profile, shot uh, picture, what exactly to do to have a strong mental game. So 
I mean, that's fine that I say these things and I've worked with clients and seen how beneficial it is, but it's really important, as you mentioned, that I have a lot of the world's best golfers saying things that support these exercises that I describe in the book. So if we're talking about breathing, we have, um, I think, Tom Watson saying, "When when I learn to breathe, I learn to win. Or Curtis Strange right. saying, under pressure, the most important thing I have to remember is to breathe. So it's like that in everything. If we're talking about imagery and how to use imagery, again, I described several specific things to do. But then we're having, you know, these comments by, um, you know, people like uh, um, Nick Faldo saying visualization is the most important thing we have. Or Phil Nicholson mm-hmm. saying mental rehearsal is just as important as physical rehearsal. And right. Scotty Scheffler, it's interesting, there was an article in Golfer Digest um, a few months ago where he said, when I'm playing my best, I'm focused on the target, on the shot shape. I am not thinking about swing mechanics. I'm thinking about nothing else but a good feeling, good rhythm, and where the shot is going. And I think that's a huge thing. So many people start to overanalyze the swing, and instead of being in it, they're thinking about it. And it really interferes with the ball going where you want it to go. Yeah, well said. Um, and I can attest to that as a, as a teacher professional. We see that all the time. And, you know, it's interesting you talk about breathing because I, I, I can't begin to tell you how many students we'll see, you know, on the lesson teach, and you'll st- suddenly start to see the tension creeping in their body and you'll look at them, and you'll see that their chest isn't even moving, and I'll say to them, are you breathing? And you can tell they're mm-hmm. holding their breath. And, you know, mm-hmm. so they're not relaxed, and, and it sets up, it's like a domino effect. It sets up all kinds of issues and problems. Um, one of the things that was interesting, and, and it's actually right on the front of your book as well, but it's also you talk about it uh, in the book, and, and that's re- about really creating, uh, you touched a little bit about on uh, the focus and feeling and how it helps with confidence uh, to play with consistency. Talk a little bit about that because, uh, you know, again, a lot of our amateur golfers particularly um, lack in all those areas, and they don't have the confidence because they're not playing well. So how can we, you know, give us an idea of, of how the focus and, and developing a you know, good feeling uh, will help bring that confidence uh, and ultimately help them to play more consistently? Well, of course, I think there's several things, three things fundamentally that build, build confidence. And the first one is success. Of course, if people are playing well, if they see improvement, it builds confidence in their ability and so on. But maybe the thing that is most relevant for listeners is that preparation builds confidence. I mean, it's been said separation by preparation. The way we prepare yeah. is what separates us from others. And so the game is really physical component. You know, one should be in reasonable shape. I mean, if you watch, I remember, uh, I think Netflix had that um, golf program recently, Full Swing. And yes. it just showed how hard the top, world, uh, top golfers in the world worked out physically so that the body could handle what they wanted to do. So, I mean, I'm not saying the recreational golfer has to do that, but physical fitness, if you're feeling fit, you're doing some work, you have a little more endurance, a little more flexibility, a little more strength, you're going to feel a little more confident. And then the second area, of course, is technical. 
So, yeah, you mm-hmm. want to work on reasonable developing reasonable swing mechanics, something that feels good to you. You know, the ball has no energy of its own. It gets its energy from you. So if you have that smooth swing, Shepley say, the ball tends to go more where you want it to go. So working on good physical mechanics, good physics of the game. And then the third thing that's important to build confidence is your mental game. And I'm working with focus. I want, what are you saying to yourself when you're playing? You know, I think it's important to understand that intelligent people often think too much. And a lot of what they're thinking is self-critical. And a lot of it is don't right. and but. You know, don't get it there. Don't, you know. It, and it's these kind of thoughts are tension. And in that tension, you interrupt with that smooth flow of your swing. Another aspect of focus is imagery. And there's a couple of pieces to imagery. One piece is clearly seeing the shot you want to make, seeing the target, seeing the trajectory, seeing the ball hitting the target, rolling to exactly where you want it to go. Uh, a lot of people, uh, of the top golfers in the world and some of the top coaches and pros have said to people, have a clear shot picture. See the shot you want to make. And then another aspect of visualization that I think is important, I ask my clients always, to, and this is interesting, I think, for, for listeners, to pick an animal that would give them the feelings they'd want to have if they were playing great. And it's interesting, with elite golfers, 99% are picking predators. And I ask them, what is the difference between the golfer who's a predator and the golfer who's the play. And inevitably, you know, what they're saying is the golfer is a predator, steps up to make his or her shot. The play is careful. They don't want to make a mistake. They don't want right. to put it in the bunker. They don't want to, you know, whatever. They don't want to do something. creates tension. So creating that sense of, you know, being the, it was Tiger Woods, you know, was the best golfer perhaps ever. And, you know, Greg Norman was the shark, and Nicholas was the bear, and so on. These animal images give us a certain, more of an instinctive feel for the game. And if we're predators, we're assertive. And it really comes down, it really comes down to love or fear. To me, these are the core human emotions in every sport. And when we love the challenge, golf is a remarkably challenging game, a wonderfully challenging game. Every hole is a new challenge. And if we can step up and say, I love the challenge, and we think some good thoughts about ourselves, you know, I'm a good golfer. You know, I hit straight and long. You know, I have good touch around the green. We say positive things to ourselves. We embrace the challenge. We love the challenge. Again, we're creating a, an environment within ourselves where there's more energy flows through us more easily. And then I get back into the whole breathing thing that I do and explain very clearly these exercises. It's not just the waves come in and the waves go out. It's also your breathing and energy and training people to imagine the flow of energy through the body, through the arms, through the legs, up into the head, up into the eyes. So you with work, you create those good feelings 
and you have the good focus, and remarkably, you start to develop more and more consistency. And there's also another exercise that we describe very clearly that when I do make a poor shot, you know, when I do misfire on an occasion, there's a clear exercise how to release the tension generated by that. And as a matter of fact, to use it to draw more energy to me and refocus. There's an exercise as to how to do that because it's just important to learn how to play the misses as it is to play the great shots. As a matter of fact, I have a client who's a wonderful high school golfer in Texas. And I just spoke to him yesterday. He just had a tournament he finished. And I always ask my clients after the round, always first, train yourself first to say, what did I do well in this round? What did I like about this round? And pick one or two things that you really like about it. And then, regardless of how successful the round may have been, pick one thing you want to work on to improve. And these are things I practice, I continue to work with. My strengths and areas I want to improve. And when I spoke to this young man after his game in, in, in Austin yesterday, to me, his, his feedback was, I mean, he had a wonderful first round. It was a two-round tournament. He was a junior, and he shot a 69 in the first round. And he said, the second round wasn't quite as good, but I'm really pleased because I had a double bogey. And on the next hole, I birdied it. And so that's exactly one of the things we're working with, you know, not to let that one missed hole take you off your game. How do I do that? It's all about focus and feeling, managing your focus and your feeling, how you talk to yourself, the positive image you create, and what you do with your breathing and tension release to create good feelings in the body. Well said. And, and you know, I think there's so many things that 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 people can draw from um, what you just said, and, and a lot of it too is, you know, having to to be able to visualize. And and I, I think you said something earlier too that I think is is important to to really sort of emphasize is, and, and the, the difference really between a lot of the professionals and obviously the everyday golfer is they overthink the process so much. The pros obviously focus on. Um, you know certain things and 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 whatnot, but they're not think, thinking swing mechanics, and they're not thinking. Uh, you know, they get over the ball, and they've got maybe one swing thought, or they might have one thought in their mind, and it might be something as simple as just to relax and to breathe, or whatever the case may be, whatever works best for them. And uh, and, and so I wanted to ask you, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, you've worked with many athletes, not just in golf, but obviously uh, in other sports as well, and at different levels. So when it comes to these athletes that you've worked with, is there a common thread when it comes to their mental preparedness compared to the rest of rest of us? You know, what is it? What is it that they do, um, not just necessarily pertaining to golf, but just as an athlete in general? What is it they're doing differently than the rest of us? Well, I think that the, the people who succeed at the highest level in sport have really developed certain aspects. Like you said earlier, they have a strong focus. They do have some ways of managing emotion that's, you know, more than the average person. And they have good work habits. I mean, they're, you, to succeed at the highest level in professional sport or at the Olympic level, that kind of thing, you have to have tremendous discipline. So, you know, unlike the recreational golfer, they've learned to persevere, keep their eye on the prize, keep, continue to work hard. I think, you know, setting goals is, is really important. I mean, we have a chapter in the book on, you know, creating smart goals. 
and I think I think it was Greg Norman was saying that um, the importance of goals. That uh, what did he say? No, it doesn't matter. I mean, so these people have they've developed a, a strong positive sense of self, a strong positive focus. They have more emotional management techniques, and they have the discipline, and therefore, you know, they can persevere. It's funny, one of the hockey players uh, I interviewed, um, who I've worked with for years, it's funny, now I'm working with his son, who's a professional player. He said to me, it's, and he's a good golfer. I mean, he's a sub-70 mm-hmm. recreational golfer. And he said to me, you know, it's easier to play uh, hockey than it is to play golf, because if I get upset yeah. in hockey, I can go <laughs> cross-check somebody. And, of course, you know, if we get emotionally too upset, we end up, you know, not doing very well on the last hole. Yeah. That, <laughs> One of the golfers that, that I used to work, I used to work with the New York Mets. And um, one of the players I worked with was Ray Knight. He was very pleased with what we did. And he suggested that I work with Nancy, who was uh, Nancy Lopez. And, right. um, and, you know, just an absolutely wonderful, wonderful person and a wonderful golfer. And, um, and she had something to say about um, how important it is to shake off a bad shot. And she said, I mentioned in the book, when you have a bad shot, you have to shake it off. Take a breath and be excited about the next shot. If you keep the bad shot feeling, you're more likely to hit the next one badly too. So we, we agree, absolutely, the question becomes, how do I get rid of that anxious or negative feeling? And that's, again, where there's exercises that you have to do if you want to have more control. And one of the things I say in the book is there's two parts to this. One part is understanding what we're saying. I mean, I think we, out, we describe it very clearly in the book. The other part is doing the work. And the metaphor I always use is I know if I go to the gym and I lift weights, I'm going to get stronger. I know that, but I don't go to the gym. So understanding what we're saying, but not doing the work or just going through the exercise once or twice isn't going to change a great deal. But if every day I'm willing to spend, you know, eight, ten minutes working on just working with my breathing like a meditation and tying that to seeing myself making shots, after a while, I developed some real habit strength. So in pressure situations, I can trust taking a breath and running that image to, to um, enhance, enhance the – go where I want it to go. I think you, you, you we're losing a little bit, uh, Dr. Miller. Um, yeah, no, I accidentally st- knocked the oh. – is that better? <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, that's fine. For, you were just sort of mid-sentence, and then it just cut right off. So yeah, that's yeah, fine. No, Go ahead. In my your enthusiasm, I in my enthusiasm, <laughs> I disconnected. But what I w- I was saying was that um, if we continue to work with these elements, work with the breathing, work with imagery, and we practice them, we build up enough habit strength so that in pressure situations. We simply can take a breath and run the positive thought or run the positive image. And it's there for us. It actually will help us because the general rule in sport is under pressure, 
people, what people do under pressure is usually what they've done under pressure in the past. So somebody who right. gets, you know, they're doing pretty well in the round and they starting to get into the 15th, 16th hole and they start to feel the pressure and they've sort of faded late in the matches, they'll probably do it again the next time unless they overtrain mm-hmm. themselves with these techniques away from the pressure. Yeah, it's amazing, and we're, we're, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a second. Um, but first, I want to get into, I found a couple of areas in the book that was very interesting to me, and I'd like you to just, you know, I mean, obviously you can't get into too deep of a dive with, with the time, but um, um, maybe you can kind of give us a little bit of an overview on this. But I found Chapter 5 really interesting because you talk about power thinking, and you identify really three kinds of power thoughts, technical thoughts, strategy, uh, thoughts and personal thoughts. Can you give us just a little insight to each of those and what you're talking about so people have a better understanding? Well, I mean, technical thoughts, you have a uh, much more understanding of it than I. It's, you know, some swing-related thoughts, thoughts you might right. say to yourself that help you manage the course or manage your your uh, your actions. And um, it's personal thoughts, of course, One of the homework exercises I often ask people to do is to think about three or four strengths they have as a golfer. And, you know, while they're in a golfing mindset, like while they're preparing to play, I'm not saying do it every day all year long, but, you know, if you're living up north and it's moving into spring and summer, ball, then maybe every day you get up, you look in the mirror, you make eye contact with yourself, and you say to yourself, I'm a good golfer. And think of those four or five reasons why you're good. And when you go to the course, whether it's going to hit some balls on the range or you're actually going to play around, remind yourself, I'm a good golfer. This is what I do. We get more of what we think about. And I also work with my clients who really have a sense that you deserve to express your ability, all of your Mm -hmm. ability. And, you know, if you get somebody who's a, like, uh, you know, somebody who consistently shoots 72, 73, uh, no, let's put it another way, somebody who consistently shoots 85, 84, and he's got a round coming in with a couple of holes to go, and he's, like, shooting in the mid-70s, and a part of him might think, geez, I don't know if I'm that good. I mean, it's, it's subconscious. But then, sure enough, he'll bogey the last couple of holes. So our self-image has a profound effect on how we express ourselves. I want people understanding what their strength is. I do hit long and straight. I do have good touch. One of the things I always say in putting is this ball's going in the hole. This ball, it's not like don't miss. That just creates right. tension. You know, don't blow this shot. You know, don't blow par. Mm-hmm. Don't. Any of those shots create tension. And again, I think a key, key thing is this dichotomy between the, what I believe are the core human emotions, love and fear. And I tell mm-hmm. people, you know, one of the things that's breathing exercise, the easiest way to love yourself is simply to take a breath. And I love to play this. I love to play this whole this is a challenging hole. It's a dog leg right. There's bunkers here and there. I'm like, I love to play this. I love the challenge. Or you can say, oh, man, don't hit it. And as soon as you say don't, <laughs> the tension pops in. So yeah. we have to manage that. We have to manage that. It's interesting. 
Uh, are you familiar with Tim Galway? Um, not personally, but I've heard the name. Yeah, well, Tim back in the late 70s wrote a book called The Inner Game of Tennis. And then he was a teaching mm-hmm. tennis at Harvard uh, coach. Mm-hmm. And then he wrote the book The Inner Game of Golf. And one of the things I liked about what he said and is he said that there's mind one and mind two. And mind two, after you've played the, this wonderful sport for a while, you have a pretty good sense of how to do it. Instinctively, you kind of know how to hit the ball. You have right. a reasonable stroke. You know how to hit the ball. Mind one is this executive function. It's like your superego. And it's watching you. And it doesn't trust you. And it's going to be the one saying to you all the time, don't, you know, don't, uh, don't swing too fast. Slower on the backswing. Don't hit it in the trees. It's, it's saying these things that consistently create tension. And one of the keys is, how do I busy mind one so it leaves me alone to play a loving round of golf? And breathing, <laughs> focusing on breathing, you know, breathe it, feel it, see it. Breathe it, feel it, see it, do it. These kind of thoughts, they're busy, busy that part of your mind, and it helps you to be smooth and focused. Well said. And, you know, this sort of brings me to, to the question I wanted to ask you, and, and really you sort of laid it out. Um, it, it, it comes down to, you know, I believe is an important what you're saying to yourself, whether it's internally or, you know, externally, how we perceive things, whether it be negative or positive, makes obviously a big difference on the course. And I always equate it to, I use the example, what we see a lot of, and certainly it has happened occasionally, uh, but not very often at the professional level, but it definitely happens at the, at the amateur level, is uh, a lot of players, especially our club golfers, it's like going to the airport and dragging all their baggage to the terminal. Um, many of the amateur golfers do that from previous rounds. So they'll bring all of the bad shots, everything that they've had from the last you know, two or three times they've been at the golf course, or even the last couple of holes, and they'll bring it to the next shot at hand. So they're bringing all that negative baggage, all the negative thoughts, all of the, um, all of the negative, uh, you know, feelings, if you will. Um, so my question to you is, based on that, um, how do we learn to train our brain, so to speak, to develop a better mental game? How do we train ourselves? I know you've given some examples, but is there things that obviously the pros do that kind of train it to? get that mind one to, to kind of, I guess, is the best way to do it. What are some other things that we can do to train that brain? Well, I think, I mean, that's what the whole, that's really what the whole book is about. Um, <laughs> you know, there's so many comments. Um, I think it was Arnold Palmer said, what separates the great players from the good ones is not so much their um, golfing ability as their brain power and emotional equilibrium. So it's learning to say these basic good things to yourself, develop a positive sense of self, learning to use mental uh, rehearsal and see the shots you want to make and work at putting the ball through the trajectory to the target. It's talking to yourself like you're the predator. I make this happen. Not being the prey like be careful, which creates tension. It's learning to love the challenge that this game presents and working absolutely working with breathing to have a nice smooth feeling 
And it's not just like in, in the breathing exercise we do, there's three parts. The first part is creating a sense. The breath is like waves of the ocean. So it's, you can always go back to that rhythm. You can always find it. You're walking down the fairway. Stay with the rhythm. You know, there's power in rhythm. It will help you to stay more calm and strong. And then it's another part of that exercise is, as I said, breathing in energy and feeling that energy flowing through you. First, you train yourself so it flows through the arms into the hands, right into the shaft and the head of the club, down the legs into the feet, up into the head, into the eyes. So energy is flowing through you, and you bring that energy flow into your swing, and you're loving the challenge, and you're talking positively to yourself, and you're seeing the shot I want to make. All these pieces eventually come together with practice, so that you're more consistently present in a positive way. And I think, as you mentioned earlier on, consistency is really the prize. You know, there are a number of golfers, even, you know, just recreational golfers who can have wonderful holes. It's being consistent in the game. And there are exercises to help you do that. And I say, you can always go back to the waves. But this is a training process to really work with these things. And then what do I do when I am feeling tense? Again, there's an exercise to release the tension and use it as a stimulus to breathe in energy and reset and refocus on a positive thought or a positive image. So all of these things take a bit of practice. But these are simple, powerful exercises. I really believe there's power and simplicity And love is power. I love to play this game. I love the challenge. Rather than be careful, don't miss, don't blow this. And that's what people say to themselves. And it's interesting. There's a chapter in the book. I call it the Sub-60 Club. And I think we talk about the nine PGA Tour golfers who shot rounds uh, under under 60. And two golfers who shot rounds of 55. And one of the golfers, first golfer to shoot a 55, we were, we were discussing it. And he said, you know, I went to the course that day and there was a, a country western song on the radio that was just a wonderful song. And all day I was kind of singing that song. And I said to him, well, you know, breathing is so key. And if you're singing, it's almost like you're breathing. You know, you have a good feeling <laughs> going. And Right. And then we, as we spoke more about mind one and mind two, he said, yeah, you know, years ago I worked with a psychologist and he told me to call that part of my, my mind, you know, that keeps talking to me. He said, give it mm-hmm. a name. So I call it the weasel. And I said to him, I imagine <laughs> periodically you tell the weasel to, you know, shut the heck up. And he said, absolutely. <laughs> you know? Right. But I don't think that's quite as effective as seeing that chatter and then saying, using it as an awareness to say, back to the waves, know I can play this game, see the shot I want to make, be thinking, yes, I can, or like Nike said, just do it. Uh, or one of my favorite mantras for golfers is, I can handle this. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, yeah, there's a lot of famous sayings that, that golfers are club yeah. golfers say to themselves and, and, but you're exactly right. I found, I mean, the, the book was, 
like I said, is, is a wealth of, of knowledge, and I know we can't get into everything. But one other thing I just want you to touch on a little bit, and not necessarily the whole chapter, but in Chapter 12, you talk about individual differences. And I just want to read something just at the beginning mm-hmm. of the chapter uh, just to sort of set this up a little bit. But you, you talk about the first 11 chapters of the book outlined some basic um, mental uh, training pr- principles and skills for improving your, your golf performance. Although these principles and techniques apply to almost every, uh, everyone, uh, people are different. I, you know, and you go on to say that you, you know, thought it might be interesting to discuss a few. And one of the ones that was really stuck out to me was very early on you talk about uh, introverts and extroverts. Could you expand mm-hmm. a little bit on that? I found it was very interesting, the, sort of the comparison. Well, I think, I think basically, if, you know, to, to simplify it, I would say that in times of uncertainty, extroverts step into the storm and introverts right. step back from uncertainty, almost wait for the storm to pass. And in preparation, because introverts in that sense maybe are a little more sensitive, in preparation, they like to have set routines. They, they're not likely to be, you know, stepping up to somebody and saying, you know, they're about to go on the golf course, I'm going to kick your ass today. I mean, that's something an <laughs> extrovert might say in order right. to kind of raise that level of intensity that they, they like to perform at a higher level of emotional intensity. Introverts, on the other hand, will tend to be a little more quiet and work internally in getting themselves ready. And they tend to have good uh, pre-match routines because they know it helps them to reduce their level of anxiety or uh, yeah, their level of emotional intensity if they've done some work to feel more in control of the situation. And, you know, if we, if we relate it to our years in school and college, the extroverts are the ones who wait till the last night before the exam to study. And the introverts study consistently, so they go into the exam, you know, a little bit more, feeling a little bit more prepared in that way. Um, there are differences. I remember working when I was working at um, Mississippi State with the golf team. We had one player who was a wonderful golfer. And he played his best rounds if he went out early in the morning, like 7 o'clock in the morning, and he played by himself, he'd shoot the lights out. But when he played you know, in collegiate tournaments, NCAA tournaments, sometimes there were people who would be talking, and they would maybe move at a little faster pace. And they fa- seemed to find, some of them, that they could put him off his game by saying certain right. things. Oh, you're using those clubs? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> And um, what we did was we spent a lot of time working with him on his breathing to be able to have more emotional control. And when people were upsetting him, he had something to come back to to maintain his level of emotional intensity. And we had his teammates hassle him, harass him, at first gently, when he was playing practice rounds so that he got used to using these things and then things mm-hmm. bothered him less. Whereas you right. do get some golfers who are, you know, they'll play to the crowd. They'll talk to each other. You know, I'll bet you 10 bucks. I can beat you on this hole. You know, this kind of thing. Right. That's the extrovert <laughs> saying that not the introvert. Right. You know, it, it sounds uh, very Lee Trevino ish. If you, if I was to put exactly. it, uh, you know, and I, and what's interesting about that, I was I was thinking to myself and laughing because 
I can remember in interviews, uh, Jack Nicholas used to talk about one of the players that he um, was most challenged by, not because of how they played the game or the shots they hit, um, but was Lee Trevino because Lee would try to get inside Jack's head, and he did it intentionally. And, of course, he was a talker and, and you know, kept going on and on. And But Jack was, was such a focused player. Um, I'm sure it bothered him at some point, but he was so focused uh, in his own game that he was able to block that out. And that's not an easy thing to do. So I'm sure that young player that you're referring to from Mississippi uh, probably felt like Jack did listening to these guys, you know, kibitzing him on the golf course. Um, and you well, just have is, to, yeah. you know, develop you know, develop the skill to, 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 you know, tune it out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll, he was, I mean, mo- most of us that are somewhere, of course, it, you know, a little bit to this side or that side of that continuum. Right. But some people are quite a bit in the extreme. And if you're in the extreme on the introvert side, you do have to learn with how to deal with minor upsets or things that are stimulating mm. you beyond the level of stimulation that you want to be in. Extroverts, right. on the other hand, extreme extroverts might have to learn to control themselves a little bit. You know, more of a Tommy Bolt. You, know, you mentioned yeah. Trevino, certainly a good example. Chichi Rodriguez in the old days. Yeah. These guys, they talk to the crowd. They talk to each other, and some players <laughs> don't want to be talked to. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, and but you know that's the nature of the game, and and you're going to play with all different types of players and. And if you're going to be at that level, you've got to learn to be able to deal with that. And, and you know, I, I can remember, um, and the name escapes me now, but it was a young player um, probably back at least a decade or so ago, and he used to get penalized. Um, but he was always uh, aggravated by slow play, and he was very, very mm-hmm. vocal about it. And I can't think of his name off the top of my head. A, a short-statured young guy, but, uh, you know, he, he got – uh, I think reprimanded a couple times because he would basically cuss the player out for slowing, up, you know, slowing up the round. Yeah. But he was right. I mean, it, you know, that they were doing it, but he he didn't have a good check on his emotions, and it would get the right. better of him. And and you know, he was a good player, but he obviously didn't go on to the levels he probably could have. But you know, I, I think this book can really help all levels of of not just golfers, but obviously athletes. There's so much information. Obviously, we don't have time to. Uh, you know, to get into all of it. And we want them, as I said at the beginning, to, to read this book. Um, so where can the listeners get a copy of, of the book? Where is it available? Everywhere. I mean, it's available, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, tra- all the major bookstores. Yeah. I mean, yeah, anywhere or online. Yeah. I'd be delighted if people okay. got hold of it. I honestly believe, I mean, as you mentioned earlier, I've written a number of books. And I do think this one, maybe because I've been writing books for a long time, I think this one is really clear about the things to do to improve your mental game. Things to do with focus, self-talk, imagery, um, things to do with emotional management to manage your emotions because you have to find that sweet spot for you where you, you know a little bit of pressure is perfect and too much is something I have to deal with, and you know how to manage yourself to be in that zone. And then what do I do when I'm not feeling right, when I'm feeling too pressured? It's not so much with, especially with elite golfers, that that they're 
uh, under aroused. The problem is they're over aroused. They're trying too hard. They're emotionally upset about something and it takes away um, that smooth feeling that you really want to bring to, to each shot. And the sense that, you know, the way you talk to yourself and see it, this, this ball is going in the hole. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's the way to think. Uh, I think it was Hadwin in the book when he was one of the guys to shoot 59. And he said he came up to the 18th hole and he had to sink a four-foot putt to score 59 on the round. And he kept saying, you know, God, don't, if I miss this putt, I will never <laughs> forgive myself, you know. And then, right. he, you know, he realized, what, what are you doing? But that's, yep. that's that human nature side. That's that mind one. And, you know, then he got back. I've made this putt 150 times or 1,000 times, whatever it was. And I'm saying, stay with the love factor. I love to make this shot. This is going in the hole. I love it. Rather than, as soon as you say don't, you're, I'm not saying you're creating the yips, but as soon as you say don't, you're creating that tightness that interferes with the smooth expression of your energy. And as mm-hmm. I said, the ball has no energy of its own. It gets its energy from you. And if the energy is coming to you and flowing through you and is expressed in the smoothness of your swing, the ball is going to go where you want it to go. What a great way to, uh, to end this segment. Um, Dr. Miller, I want to thank you very much for, for coming on Golf Talk Live tonight. It's been a pleasure, and it is a fantastic read. I thoroughly enjoyed this book. And the one thing I would say to the listeners, uh, I w- and, and I would say this not just as a teacher professional, but uh, obviously somebody that believes in you know, putting things into practice, it's not just a great read. There's a lot of very, very valuable tools in here that are going to help sharpen your mental game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you've got to put them into practice. You know, don't just flip through them and read it and say, okay, that's great, and put the book down. Um, you know, do the pra- you know, practice the, the, the things that, that Dr. Miller talked yeah. about in this book. It's uh, Winning Golf, The Mental Game. It is a fantastic read, and as I said, there's, um, I mean, it, it's it's busting full of, of some great information and uh, a lot of very positive accolades from many many top players in in the business um, um, that have have really spoken volumes of of just what's valuable in this book, and uh, so it's available as as uh, Dr. Miller said at at anywhere bookstores, Barnes and Noble. Uh, all the major chains and online as well. I'm assuming at Amazon.com uh, and some Absolutely. of the other major yeah. uh, online carriers. Now, one other thing I just want to ask you quickly before I let you go: Is it also available in a digital format, or is it only in in the uh, like a hard or soft cover? It's no. Like, it's you, there. You can you can listen to it. Absolutely. Okay, so an audio um, version as well. There's an audio version. I'm not sure if there's a digital version. I would imagine so. I should know that. That's a good question. Um, I <laughs> well, I mentioned, the reason I asked it, number of, yeah, it mentions an e-book yeah. on here, so that's why I was wondering. But you know what? Uh, you can go online and uh, you can uh, research it. There's a lot of great information there. And as I said, the book is called Winning Golf, The Mental Game uh, by Dr. Saul Miller, and it is a fantastic read. And uh, Dr. Miller, thank you very, very much. Um, I hope you'll write a part two and come back and, and share that with uh, my audience as well. But uh, maybe your friends will have to egg you on about doing another golf, another golf book. <laughs> well, this, Ted, I really um, appreciate the invitation. I appreciate it very much. And it was a real pleasure talking with you and I'd be pleased to do it anytime. Yeah. I would love to have you come back on and, 
and uh, maybe we'll, we'll uh, expel a few other nuggets uh, in the book as well. But thank you very much. You have a great weekend, and uh, uh, again, very much appreciate that you come on as my special guest this evening on Golf Talk Live. But have a great weekend, and uh, again, I hope you'll join me on a future pro uh, broadcast. Bye bye. All right, bye bye. All right, that was uh, Dr. Saul Miller, the author of uh, Winning Golf, The Mental Game, uh, a great sport and uh, performance psychologist, uh, world-renowned, definitely want to check it out. And also, uh, he has a website if you want to check out and learn more about him and just see some of the great work. Uh, there's a blog and, uh, and other things on there that you can find, Dr. Saul Miller, performance consultant. Uh, you go to saulmiller.com. That's Saul, S-A-U-L, Miller, M-I-L-L-E-R. Dot com, and uh, you can check out some great information there as well. But again, uh, the book is Winning Golf, The Mental Game by Dr. Saul L. Miller, and you can get that anywhere books are sold, uh, both here and in Canada as well. So on that note, again, a special thanks to uh, Pete Buchanan for joining me uh, and uh, sharing some, some insightful thoughts on the Coach's Corner panel, and uh, best wishes to Sue. Hope you're feeling better through the weekend, and we'll get you the next time on the panel discussion. On that note, Uh, God bless everybody. Have a great weekend, and I'll see you next time right here on Golf Talk Live. Good night. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel, and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.